Well, let's get into today's teaching. You can begin turning to Genesis chapter 40. That's where we're going to begin as we continue the incredible life story of Joseph. He was born a favored son when he was 17 years old. He was not born when he was 17. I'm shifting gears here. He was born, then moving on, when he was 17, he was trusted by his father to oversee the family business which resulted in his other brothers hating him and horrifically selling him off to slave traders who took him down to Egypt where he was purchased by a man named Potiphar who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He was a prominent man in Egypt. God blessed everything Joseph did in Potiphar's house and he very quickly rose to oversee all of Potiphar's business, which is when he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife who tried repeatedly to seduce him. Joseph refused and she then accused him of attempted rape. As a result, Joseph was thrown into the palace prison where God blessed everything Joseph did and he quickly rose to oversee all of the other prisoners. And that's where our story is gonna pick up today. But before we dive into the text, we need to remember that the most powerful aspect of Joseph's story is that it points ahead prophetically to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Joseph serves as a type of Jesus in that many aspects of his life serve as patterns that would be repeated in the life of Jesus. In just the information that we did last week, we saw that Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, yet he did not sin. In fact, Joseph, as we mentioned before, has no sin mentioned of him anywhere in the scriptures. That doesn't mean he never sinned, it's because he's a type of Jesus, the one who was tempted and yet never sinned. We saw that Joseph was falsely accused just as Jesus was. We mentioned in our previous study, it seems that Potiphar believed that Joseph was truly innocent because he had him thrown in prison rather than executed. And Bill actually pointed out to me this week that if that's correct, and it seems to be, then Potiphar serves as another type of Pontius Pilate, the ruler who knew deep down that Jesus was innocent and tried to spare his life by punishing him instead of executing him. Joseph is thrown in prison, and Isaiah 53 prophesied that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. Joseph won the respect of his jailer. Jesus won the respect of the Roman centurion standing at the cross who cried out, certainly this was a righteous man. And we'll look at some more parallels between Joseph and Jesus at the end of the message, but just to get us started and get us into that mindset as we jump into the text. Chapter 40, verse one. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker no sign of the candlestick maker, of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. 
Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. So these two men would have served the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, directly. The butler would have been in charge of Pharaoh's wine, and each would have been responsible for tasting what they served to check for quality and flavor, but also to make sure that there was nobody attempting to poison the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. So in the same night, in the king's prison, they each have a dream. The dream is prophetic. It means something. It foretells the future. Their dreams are different, and they have different meanings, but they have no idea what they mean. Verse 6, and Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? Now, don't miss this. This little detail, this little bit of an example of Joseph is astonishing to me because in prison, Joseph is not feeling sorry for himself. He's not sulking or pouting. He's not self-absorbed. You know, if I had been in prison in his situation for something I didn't do and I walked past some people in prison who are sad, I probably would have been like, you're not special, we're all miserable. That probably would have been my reaction, but, but, but Joseph is not self-absorbed like that. In fact, he, he cares enough about other people that even in prison, he notices that these guys look upset. And not only does he notice, but he reaches out with sincerity and actually asks them why they're sad. You see, Joseph doesn't buy into the excuse that we so often do, the excuse of, you know, I've just got too much going on personally to minister to anybody else right now. And we love that excuse, don't we? Like, yeah, I know they look upset. I know they got a lot going on, but I got my own stuff going on and I just don't have the emotional capacity to deal with somebody else's stuff. And Joseph wasn't like that. He just said, hey, there's a need. Let's see if God wants to do something through me here. Because the truth is the more you focus on yourself, the more miserable you'll be. The more self-absorbed you are, the more depressed you'll be. You know why? Because you and I are not that awesome. I know that's a shocking message in today's culture, but we're not that awesome. We're not actually worthy of being the single meditation of our mind day and night. And if we are, we're going to get pretty miserable pretty quick. Because as you serve the Lord and bless others in the name of the Lord, you pour yourself out. You empty yourself of what God has put in you, which means that God has to do what? He has to fill you up again, afresh with his spirit, with his power. And it feels a whole lot better to be full of a fresh dose of God's spirit and power than it does to sit and wallow in your own stagnant misery. And here's another key. God is going to use one of these two men to get Joseph out of prison. God will use the people that you serve to bless you, to encourage you, even to elevate you. And Joseph would have missed out on what God was doing. He would have missed out on what God wanted to do if he'd been too self-absorbed to ask them how they were doing. He would have missed out. So write this down. Joseph chose to serve others rather than wallow in self-pity. He chose to serve others rather than wallow in self-pity. Rather than say, you know, I just need some time to myself right now. 
to be sad. Chose to serve. Verse eight, and they said to him, we each have had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Underline interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. And I'm challenged by Joseph's response. These men, they don't believe in God and yet Joseph's response is, dreams? Oh cool, God can help with that. And I know God, so, so tell me, what are the dreams? You know, when a non-believer shares a struggle or issue with me, I want to respond more like Joseph and have that attitude that says, hey, God can help with that. Can I pray for you real quick? Are you having a hard time with one of your kids? God can help with that. Can I just pray for you real quick? And Joseph's response is all the more amazing to me because I would have been thinking, I don't know about you, I would have been thinking, you know, I remember the last time I got involved with a couple of dreams that had meanings. Didn't go so well. As I recall, my brothers were within an inch of killing me, and then they sold me as a slave to come here. So I'm gonna take a pass on this one. That's what I would have done, but, but make a note of this. Joseph didn't let the pains of the past stop him from doing good in the present. He didn't let the pains of the past stop him from doing good in the present. He didn't say, you know what, I tried to be honest in the past and it didn't go well, so I'm never gonna do it again. You know, I tried to be truthful and vulnerable and authentic in the past and I got sold as a slave. I'm never gonna do it again. He doesn't let the pains of the past stop him from doing good in the present. I got taken advantage of once when I tried to be kind. What are you gonna do, never be kind again? Ever? Let it go, let it go. Verse nine, then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. He'll restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner, just like you used to when you were his butler. But, and then underline this, remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I've done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, so so good in that it was accurate, but also good in the sense that it was favorable. So the chief baker says, well, since you're handing out positive dream interpretations, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head or baskets of white bread. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, you gotta picture the scene. He's like, so what, what does it mean? Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days, right, right, right? Within three days, Pharaoh will lift, yes, off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. He would be 
beheaded and then his body would be nailed to a tree where it would stay as an example till it had been devoured by wild animals. It's a pretty disturbing message to receive. The baker had just enthusiastically told Joseph his dream and was waiting for his positive interpretation only to be told in three days from now you're going to be executed. And as we read it, we might think, yeesh, Joseph, how about a little heads up for the baker? I mean, how about a little warning before you just put that out there? But I can't help seeing a similarity between Joseph and Jesus in the way that Joseph speaks. He speaks the absolute truth plainly. It reminds me of the way that in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of heaven and hell, of life and death, of sin and our need for forgiveness and the hope of the Gospel because Jesus too, he just laid it out plainly so that we would all have the information we need to take the correct course of action. Because more important than us being offended or us getting our feelings hurt, more important than avoiding bad news is getting the truth. And the truth is that we can't get to the good news of the gospel without first understanding the bad news of our situation, that we've sinned against God and are destined to spend eternity getting the appropriate punishment for rejecting and rebelling against our creator. We're destined for eternal death. That's the truth, and without the truth, we can't understand the incredible hope offered by Jesus who's taken that punishment in our place and instead offered us the opportunity to be adopted into his family and spend eternity with him in heaven. Both Jesus and Joseph, they just laid out the truth plainly. Here's what it is. Verse 20, now it came to pass on the third day which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Once again, just as happened in Potiphar's house, just when it seems like things are really coming together for Joseph, when things are right about to turn around, they don't. Have you ever been there? Have you, have you ever looked at a situation in your life and, and seen the pieces coming together or thought you did and thought, oh Lord, I can see it. I can see what you're doing. I, I can see how it's all coming together. It's all so clear. And then it didn't happen. Just slow down for a minute and, and think about how perfect it must have seemed to Joseph. How precisely it must have seemed like it was all coming together. He gets thrown in prison, but he gets thrown in Pharaoh's prison. And in Pharaoh's prison, he meets Pharaoh's butler. That's a good connection to have. But wait, it gets better. The butler needs a dream interpreted. Joseph is the dream guy. He's the only one who can interpret the dream. He nails it, and the good news is the butler's getting released, and he's going to have one-on-one -on -one interactions with Pharaoh, and so Joseph is going to get a shout-out to Pharaoh from the butler personally. It's so clear what God is doing, so clear how it's all coming together, so clear at least what God should be doing. I mean, the ending of the story is practically writing itself, Joseph has to be thinking, and then it doesn't happen. The butler just forgets about it. Why? Because God's greatest goal is, is not our comfort. 
His greatest goal is not the alleviation of our suffering. His greatest goal is not removing difficulty from our life. His greatest goal is making us more like Jesus. And when God looked at Joseph at this point in time, God said, Joey, there's still work to do in you. And right now, in your life, prison is the most effective place to get that work done. So we're going to hang out here for a little bit longer. Understanding that God is at work in your life, believing that God is with you, knowing in the depths of your soul that God is good and only wants good for you is what allows you to keep having faith and trust when things aren't coming together, especially when you feel that you can see how things should come together. When you're like, oh Lord, it's so obvious what you should do right here. It's all coming together. When you trust that your heavenly Father loves you, you'll be able to be at peace and say, listen, I don't know what God is doing, but I know it's good. I know he's with me and I know he loves me, so I'm gonna keep moving forward. I'm gonna keep being faithful where God has put me today and trust that he knows what's best. And so the question for us always is, are you convinced of the goodness of your God? I mean, are you convinced of the goodness of your God? You can be. And if you're not, all the evidence you need is available at the table of communion where we're reminded of the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and spilled for us. That's how we know God is good. That's why we take communion because we need that reminder that he's good. And if you're in that place of disappointment, disappointment with your circumstances, let me ask you, do your words and actions show that you trust in the goodness of God? Or do your words and actions reveal that you're not actually convinced that God is good? Even through the disappointment, Joseph held on to his faith that God was good. And for us as New Testament believers, we're not supposed to find comfort in the changing of our circumstances. Write this down. We're supposed to find comfort in the fact that God is with us regardless of our circumstances. Our comfort isn't supposed to come from hoping that our circumstances change. We can still pray for that, we can still desire that, but we're not to say, well, I don't have comfort now, but maybe I will if my circumstances change. Our comfort is supposed to come from the fact that God's with us. Even if our circumstances don't change, he's where we get our comfort, not from the situation getting better. We have the promise from Jesus himself who gave us the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't be without him ever. When Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit that was gonna be given to the disciples and to all believers, he told them in John 14, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And then he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, the comfort that the world gives is circumstantial. In the world, the only way you can have comfort is if your circumstances change. Jesus said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to give you peace in a way that you can't get in the world. The peace that goes beyond understanding, that has nothing to do with your circumstances. Well, we keep going. Joseph has that kind of peace, and we keep going into chapter 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. 
It's been two years since the butler got released. It's been 12 to 13 years since Joseph was brought to Egypt as a slave. But he kept the faith. He kept being faithful where God had him. And when God decided the time was right, when God decided the work that needed to be done in Joseph in prison had been done and it was time for the next chapter, then God opened up a door. We read that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by the river. So this is in Pharaoh's dream. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. So the idea is that he's so disturbed by this dream that he, he woke up, bolt upright from his sleep. Verse five, he slept, falls back asleep, and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, Ooh, I remember my faults this day. He's saying, I just remembered something that I've done wrong, Pharaoh. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you, underline you, that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Pharaoh says, I need a man to interpret a dream for me. And from what I hear, when it comes to that sort of thing, you are the man. Verse 16, so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, now underline Joseph's answer, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. See, one of the things that a fear of the Lord will do in your life is cause you to begin to recognize just how many of the good things in your life are gifts from God, displays of his kindness towards you. How many of those things? All of them, all of them. Every talent, every natural ability, the ability to acquire skills and knowledge. Family, friends, freedom, the ability to earn money, whatever it is, a fear of the Lord causes you to recognize that you don't have those things because you're so great. You have them because of the kindness and goodness of your heavenly father. And so when Pharaoh tries to credit Joseph with the ability to interpret dreams, what naturally rises up in Joseph without any hint of pretension or self-righteousness is just the desire to make sure that God gets the credit and not him. And let me just say, just as a small side note, that, that's a real evidence 
of spiritual fruit to look for in a ministry. The goal and hope is that if you go to hear any pastor, any teacher, that you walk away talking about who God is, how amazing God is, how incredible his word is, rather than the person who delivered the message. We live in a celebrity culture, especially even in the Western church, but, but Jesus was always about directing glory to the Father. You know, he would do things in the Gospels and you would read that people glorified God as a result of that. And Jesus' disciples were all about directing glory to Jesus, just as we should be. And Joseph was all about directing the glory back to God in the same way rather than keeping it for himself. And let me just say, you don't need to do this generally with other believers, okay? You don't need to do this with other believers. If you bring something delicious to the potluck in a couple of weeks and someone says, man, thanks for bringing those Nanaimo bars, you don't need to reply, thank God. He is the one who gave me the ability to earn the money to buy those Nanaimo bars. Glorify the Lord, brother. You don't need to do that. You can just say you're welcome. The difference with Joseph was that Pharaoh likely hadn't even heard of Joseph's God. And the ability in question was different. It it was supernatural. And so Pharaoh was saying, I have heard that you have supernatural power. And so it mattered that Joseph said, no, 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 no. I don't have supernatural power. The God I serve is God. And he's the one who has all the power. But let me explain why this was really such a gutsy move by Joseph. Because if if you know history, you might be aware that in Egypt, Pharaoh wasn't just the king. He was considered to be a god. And here's Joseph, fresh from prison, given the opportunity of a lifetime to have an audience with Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh, oh, Pharaoh, God, singular, God, the one you know nothing about, God will give me the interpretation of your dream. And so when he says this, everyone else who's in the king's court has to be thinking, well, he's dead. It's an incredible act of faith and bravery on on Joseph's part. And it happens because he genuinely fears God more than he fears people. Even more than he fears the most powerful man on earth, which is who Pharaoh was at this time. So write this down. Joseph's primary concern was that God be glorified. His primary concern was that God be glorified. And I also love the fact that in faith, Joseph puts God's reputation on the line. I like that. He tells Pharaoh straight up, God will give you the answer. And so he says, all right, God, you better come through. It's your reputation on the line, not mine. And he invites us to do the same thing because God loves that. He loves it when we encourage one another and say, hey, listen, Here's what the word of God says. You can take that to the bank. God loves it when we put his reputation on the line like that and use his word to do that. When we say, hey, hey, listen. Bible says, cast all your cares upon the Lord. If you go to the Lord with this, he will give you comfort. He will give you peace. God loves it when we do that. And that's what Joseph is doing here. But if you haven't picked up on this too, just to sort of give you the scent of a trail that you might wanna go down, there are some fascinating parallels between the only other man in scripture who has no sin mentioned of him, Daniel and Joseph, especially here. They're both taken to foreign lands as captives. They both end up before the king. They're both pictures of Jesus in a way in their place. 
they both end up interpreting dreams for the king that nobody else can interpret, and they both declare the greatness of God to that king. Remember what Daniel said in chapter two of his book. I'll read it to you. It says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Almost identical to what Joseph says to Pharaoh. Well, we pick it up in verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed on the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God, underline God, has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one, and the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, Seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, underline now therefore, this is wild here because... You're in the audience of the most powerful man on earth. You don't now therefore. You don't do that. You just stop. You answer the question he asked. But just as Jesus spoke plainly, Joseph speaks plainly and tells Pharaoh. He doesn't even ask Pharaoh. He just goes right into telling Pharaoh what he should do in light of what God has just revealed to him. This is staggering on a surface level, but there's not an ounce of arrogance in the counsel Joseph is giving. He's simply telling Pharaoh what would be best for him and for the people of Egypt. Just as Jesus told people plainly what they should do with the gospel news, they should give up their lives and follow him. Jesus said very simply, since you know that your life and this earth are going to come to an end, since you know that apart from me you're destined for eternal death, let me tell you what you should do. Give me your life and follow me. Just that simple. Well, Joseph tells Pharaoh, grab a, a pen and paper, Pharaoh, take down some notes. He says, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. In other words, not you, Pharaoh, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. 
and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. And I really want us to notice this. Because Joseph feared the Lord more than he feared people, because he feared the Lord more than he feared people, he was able to love and serve them in the best way possible. Did you catch that? Because he feared the Lord more than he feared people, he was able to love and serve those people in the best way possible. Make a note of that. He was able to love and serve them in the best way possible. You see, the truth is that more often than not, we care more about being perceived by other people as being caring, sensitive, non-judgmental, and loving. We care more about being perceived as those things than we actually care about being those things. We care more about being perceived as being those things than we care about doing and saying what God would have us do and say. In other words, our, our actions and words are most often guided by the fear we have of the people we're trying to love and serve more than they are a fear of the Lord. And the irony of that is that it's the fear of the Lord that actually empowers us to love and serve people in the best way possible. Now please hear me. I didn't say that a fear of the Lord empowers us to love and serve people in the way that they would most prefer. It's not what I said. I said a fear of the Lord is what empowers us to love and serve people in the best way possible, in the way that's actually best for them. You see, if Joseph had had a fear of man more than a fear of the Lord, he would have just stopped and not shared the great idea that the Lord had given him. Wouldn't have said what God had told him to say. Or he would have said, um, let Pharaoh, the wisest man in the land, appoint leaders. But he doesn't say that. He just says what God has told him to say, and it's the single most helpful, beneficial, loving thing that he could communicate in that moment. And it only happens because he fears God more than he fears Pharaoh. Please make a note of this also. We're not gonna get into this deep, but just note this, even though Joseph is a believer, he believes in planning ahead. Even though he's a believer, he believes in planning ahead. He doesn't say, hey listen, there's seven years of famine coming, but Pharaoh, don't worry. I serve the God who has the cattle of a thousand hills. We got this covered, baby. We don't even need to plan. All you need to do is be a believer and God will take care of everything. He doesn't do that. He plans ahead for something he knows is going to happen. Planning ahead is a basic principle of wise, practical living. It's not unspiritual to plan ahead. Not unspiritual. Again, we could do a whole message on that, but I'm not going to get into that right now. We'll keep moving with verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the spirit of God, underline spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. 
And he clothed them in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. How many of you know that when you go from prison to becoming the second most powerful man on earth in a day, it's been a good day? It's been a good day. The story here is absolutely astounding. And what's incredible is that Pharaoh had to be surrounded by these sycophants and hangers-on and counselors and people, career politicians who are trying to climb the ladder, and yet when they hear what Joseph has to say, and Pharaoh says, anybody have a better idea? They're all like, no. Anybody feel like this is not the best guy that we could put in charge of the land of Egypt? They're all like, no. And they don't like it, but they got nothing to say because Joseph is so full of the Spirit of God. And in the original language, the term bow the knee actually has an implication attached to it along the lines of father or or native prince. And so the idea there is that it wasn't just bow the knee because of his position, but it was Pharaoh was saying to everyone in Egypt, bow the knee because he was implying that he had actually adopted Joseph as his son. And they should view him as the son of Pharaoh rather than just a Hebrew immigrant. Now as a side note, how awkward do you think it was the first time Joseph is walking the hallways of Pharaoh's palace, goes around a corner and walks straight into Potiphar? I mean, that's got to be awkward. Or take it up a level. What do you think the atmosphere was like in Potiphar's house when he comes home and he says, Uh, hey babe, so uh, crazy thing happened at work today. Remember that guy Joseph from a couple of years ago? I'm pretty sure she was like, um, you know what Potiphar, why don't we take that vacation we've been meaning to take, like right now. What if it was a forever vacation and we just, we just went for it. I'm just feeling crazy. Let's grab, let's grab it back. Let's go right now, somewhere far away. I'm feeling open-minded. Let's go. Also, again, we see the parallel to what happened with Daniel under both the Babylonian and Persian kings. He's elevated to the same position in the Babylonian and Persian empires. Joseph went from Palestine to Potiphar's house to prison to the palace. But the reason he ended up in the palace was because he was faithful in each of those places along the way. He gave the same effort wherever he was. He worked with the same industry and integrity in every place he ended up. He was faithful with little. He was faithful when nobody was watching. And so the Lord knew that he could trust Joseph with much. He could trust Joseph with a position and with power where everyone would be watching. Verse 45, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. On was a city. It was the geographic center of 
sun worship in Egypt. And if you were an intellectual or a philosopher, you lived in the city of On. It's about seven miles north of Cairo and is also known in history as the city of Heliopolis. And this woman, Asenath, came from a family that worked in the city of On as priests in this pagan religion. That'll be important. We'll come back to that later. Continuing, so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt Joseph was 30 years old, underline 30 years old, when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means making forgetful, for God, underline God, has made me forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, which means faithfulness, for God, underline God, has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. We see the heart of Joseph in this continual awareness and gratitude for God's hand on his life as he names his children after the kind things God has done for him. Can I remind you of what I know about the heart of a father? A father loves to bless children who are grateful. Loves to bless children who are grateful. Every father loves blessing all their kids. But a father, and if you're a dad, you know this, especially loves blessing those children who are just delighted when you give them a gift, who are just thankful and expressive with their gratitude. God will bless you no matter what. But I want to suggest to you that God especially loves to bless those who express their gratitude to him. Whom when he blesses you, it results in more worship and gratitude and thanks towards your heavenly father. Joseph was one of those guys. It's one of the reasons he was just God's guy. His heavenly father loved to bless him because Joseph was always so aware and quick to notice when God was blessing him. Make sure that You're a child of God who expresses gratitude to your heavenly father. Be a blessing to your heavenly father. Verse 53, then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So this famine affected at a minimum all of the Middle East, meaning it also affected who? Joseph's family back in Hebron, Jacob, and all of Joseph's brothers. And that detail is gonna come into play very, very soon in a very, very big way. Verse 55, so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. So Joseph doesn't just give the grain away that he stored up, he, he sells it. So the government 
Pharaoh's regime becomes the only grocery store in the entire country. And all the money they make goes to Pharaoh. And as a result, from an interesting side of history, this is how Pharaoh comes to literally own all of Egypt. He literally owns Egypt, but that's a whole story we can get into another day. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. So under Joseph's leadership, just like Potiphar, Pharaoh becomes wealthier and more powerful than any Pharaoh had ever been before. And Egypt becomes the most powerful and wealthy nation on earth. Two dreams got Joseph sold as a slave in Egypt. Two dreams got Joseph out of prison in Egypt. And two dreams got Joseph into the palace in Egypt. No matter the cost, no matter the consequences, for good or bad, Joseph continued to simply tell the truth and share what God was revealing to him. Guess what Joseph is going to do in the palace? The same thing he was doing in the prison. The same thing he was doing in Potiphar's house. The same thing he was doing in his father's house. He's going to be faithful where God has placed him today. He's going to be faithful in the situations and circumstances and positions that God has placed him in today. His work ethic, his integrity, his honesty are not going to change at all. And there's a lesson in there for us. The lesson is this, you know, we would not suddenly become someone different, someone better, someone more like Jesus if we were simply put in a better situation. We wouldn't become someone different. Who we are in challenging circumstances is who we truly are. So we should let the Lord work on us. Write this down because if you can't change your situation, it's probably because the Lord wants to change you. If you can't change your situation, if you pray and nothing changes, it's probably because the Lord wants to change you. So let's take a look at some of the parallels here between Joseph and Jesus because they're astonishing. Again, we're gonna move pretty quick. You can go back and listen to this and do your, your own study, which I would encourage you to do on this, but just to show some things to you about how amazing these parallels are, Joseph encounters two men in prison. Jesus had two thieves crucified beside him. In both cases, one of the men is headed for destruction. Joseph tells the butler he'll be saved. Jesus told the thief, assuredly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. In the baker and the butler, we have the elements of communion represented, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus. In the three days between Joseph's interpretation of the dreams and their fulfillment, we have the three days that Jesus spent in the grave. Surrounded by the, the elements of communion, the baker and the butler, Joseph's request to the baker is, remember me, remember me. Speaking of when Jesus served his disciples the first communion, Luke's gospel records that he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Joseph spoke of the future with accuracy. Jesus spoke of the future and told his disciples, now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Joseph only spoke what God told him to. 
Jesus said in John 12, I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Joseph was taken from the prison to the palace just as Jesus was taken from the grave to the throne of heaven. Joseph goes from the chains of prison to the gold chains of the palace. Jesus changed his clothes from mortal human flesh to a resurrected, immortal, glorified body. Joseph was delivered from prison by the hand of God. God is the one who raised Jesus from the tomb. Pharaoh was in awe of Joseph's counsel, declaring, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. Isaiah 9, 6 prophesied that when Messiah came, part of his name would be Wonderful Counselor. Joseph is exalted. He's set over all Egypt. He's given a new name. And before him, all people are commanded to bow the knee. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus. God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus shares the throne with the Father as Joseph shared the throne of Pharaoh. As Joseph ruled over Pharaoh's house with his word, so today our Lord Jesus rules over the Father's household, the household of faith, the church, by and through his word. Joseph's authority and glory were publicly declared to all the people in Egypt. Peter was given the same task of heralding King Jesus on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, Peter said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Joseph was 30 years old when he began his ministry. Jesus was 30 years old when he began his public ministry. When the people approach Pharaoh, the father of Egypt, because they're starving and dying and in need of bread, Pharaoh, the father, tells them, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. Just as when we approach our heavenly father, dead in our sins, he directs us to Jesus to find salvation. In fact, Pharaoh's very words are echoed at Jesus' first recorded miracle in John chapter two, the wedding in Cana. Do you remember what Jesus' mother Mary told the servants at that wedding? She said, whatever he says to you, do it. Who was the only person who had bread when the world was starving? Joseph. How many other options were there? None. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. What does the name Bethlehem mean? House of bread. What did Jesus call himself in John 6? The bread of life. How many ways are there to be saved? One. Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. After rising to rule, Joseph was given a Gentile bride by his father, Pharaoh, After Jesus rose from the grave, he was given a Gentile bride that was born in Acts chapter two, the church whom he will be joined to in the future. 
It's a fascinating and rewarding study to look at all these incredible parallels between Joseph and Jesus. It's a, it's a where's Waldo that will actually bless your soul. And I encourage you to see if there's anything we've missed, anything you can find as you pour over. Just go line by line this week and dig into it. You, you'll be blessed as you do that. See what the Lord might reveal to you. We'll share a couple of points in, in closing that are worth taking from the text today. Firstly, if you're in a, a difficult situation or circumstance right now, I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question, what would someone in my situation do? How would they talk? How would they act if they were absolutely convinced that God was with them? And then be that person. Because God is with you. And you can be absolutely certain of that. He is always with you. Joseph said to Pharaoh, I can't, but God can. Whatever difficulty you're facing, if it seems too big for you, it's probably because it is. It's because it is. You can't, but God can. And there's tremendous peace and hope to be found in embracing and confessing that truth. To have your confidence not in yourself, but in the greatness and goodness of God. Instead of focusing on the greatness of your problem or your circumstance or your issue, focus on the greatness of your God and what he's capable of. With God, all things are possible, the word says. In chapter 40, when Joseph is asking the butler to remember him, he gives a little summary of his situation to the butler, and he says, For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I've done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Really want you guys to get this. What's missing from Joseph's summary of his life story there? What's missing? You know what's missing? The fact that his brothers wanted to kill him, the fact that they sold him as a slave. The fact that he was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He doesn't name her. He doesn't name the brothers. Why? Do you think he just forgot? I don't, I don't know that he really forgot. It's because he let it go. Already, while he's still in prison, right? At the time when he had the most reason to remember how they had wronged him. He's already forgiven them. He won't even speak about them or what they did. He didn't wait until his circumstances improved before he forgave them and let the past go. Really get this. He doesn't say, maybe when I'm finally out of prison, maybe when I'm no longer experiencing the pain and trauma of what they did to me, maybe then I can think about forgiveness. He doesn't wait till then. He let that stuff go while he was still in the middle of a difficult situation that was their fault. He let it go even then. He names his first son Manasseh, which means making forgetful. And he names his second son Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. You see, until you choose to let the past go, God cannot begin to heal you of it. He cannot begin to help you forget and move on. And the way that you let the past go is by choosing to forgive and to leave that pain at the feet of Jesus. It's a choice. God will minister to you, God will heal you, but you have to make the choice first that you're going to forgive, that you wanna forgive. 
that you're going to walk in that forgiveness and choose to do it every day. Until you let the past go, Manasseh, you won't be truly fruitful in your life. You won't get to Ephraim. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Philippians 3 where he said, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let the past go, let it go, so your life can be fruitful. Even if you're still dealing with pain and hurt every day that was caused by someone else that's not your fault, let it go, let it go so that God can heal you of it. Perhaps you hear Joseph's story and you think, wow, from the prison to the palace, I'd like to have that story. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus, then that is your story. That is your story. He lifted us from death itself to somewhere far better than a palace. He lifted us all the way to eternal life with him. And not only that, but compared to how amazing heaven and Jesus are going to be, the difference between this life and the eternity that we're going to spend with Jesus is far greater than the difference between the prison and the palace that Joseph experienced. So let's thank God for that today. We're going to have a time of worship and prayer. Let's Let's bless the Father. Let's be people who express their gratitude in worship and prayer. And then make sure you take communion today and thank Jesus, our greater than Joseph, for what he's done for us. With that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much for your word and, and for the example of your son Joseph. Lord, one of your adopted sons who is such a great example to us. And Father, we are just so impressed by the fruitfulness of his life. But we know it was accomplished because he was faithful and he was quick to forgive. And Father, may we do the same. May we not spend an ounce of energy, a second of time being bitter, dwelling in unforgiveness, dwelling on the past. Father, I pray for, for any among us who are holding unforgiveness toward anyone. In Jesus' name, would you just release your grace upon us, Lord, to do what you've asked us to do and release anyone that we consider a debtor to us. Would you just release your grace so that forgiveness can flow as it flowed toward us from the cross where you gave your life and laid it down so that we could be forgiven. And then, Father, help us to be faithful where we are today, right now. Help us to not despise small beginnings or modest circumstances or, or work that nobody sees. Lord, help us to be faithful because you see and you are a rewarder of those who do it for you. Help us to honor you by the way we serve. And Lord, help us to be children who are grateful for the good gifts of their heavenly Father. May we bless you with our gratitude. May we bless you with our thanks. May you be honored by it, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. 
It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.